What I see today is tremendous backlash against women stepping into their power. And I think this is a great sign. I think we're getting somewhere. And the, the harder the progress is pushed back against, I think the more ground we're actually gaining. So my biggest worry then would be if anyone is giving up. Okay, it basically comes down to this. You have to forget everything your culture has told you about being a woman, and then you can begin your day. Hi, I'm Jill Sorensen, and you are listening to the new feminist podcast, the place for common sense feminism. Women's voices are the least heard across the globe. Their lives, their daily concerns, their rights or lack thereof, their worries, their dreams are still silenced in so many countries and cultures. Women still face unequal access to education, political representation, and economic opportunities. So what stories would women around the world tell if they could? What if they had a chance to tell their story on film and also a film festival to show it in? Film is such a powerful tool to change someone's perspective that it can alter someone's life path. Today we're speaking to Heidi Bash Harrell, the executive director of Women's Voices Now, an organization that uses film to drive positive social change to advance women's and girls' rights globally. To date, they have received over 740,000 film submissions from women and girls from 65 countries. Well, Heidi, thank you for coming on the New Feminist Podcast. I'm very excited to talk to you. Jill, thank you so much for having me. It's so good to see you. It's been quite a while. I know, I know. We haven't seen anyone, you know, the last two years. It's it's just so isolating. But tell us about Women's Voices and tell us all that you do. Yeah, so first, thanks so much for the opportunity to share the work of Women's Voices Now. We have been around since 2010. We are a 501c3 nonprofit organization, and our mission is to use film to drive positive social change that advances girls' and women's rights globally. And we do that through our main three programs, which is our online film festival, Girls Voices Now Youth Development Program, and our online free film collection called Voices for Change. And since 2017, we have had special consultative status uh, to the United Nations ECOSOC. Economic and Social Council, for those who don't know all those little abbreviations. And that basically means that we get to do really cool things like opine at the UN Women Commission every year and to give recommendations and to consult and meet with other NGOs and governments who are all striving to make the world a better place for women and girls. Mm, That's awesome. And you are the director, correct? I'm the executive director, correct. And and does that require you to travel around the world for this? It used to require me to travel around the world. In the beginning, as the organization was sort of finding its its way and refining how it sought to make impact, uh, we would do global tours bringing films to places like Turkey, Jordan, Morocco, and working with refugee centers or community centers, schools, women's groups, and things like this, and trying to have um, cross-cultural dialogue. But I realized that we can't have as much impact because it's sort of dropping into a community without knowing much about who they are and what they do. It's it's a little pompous, right? So we've come a long way in understanding what how best we can have impact and also 
including because of the COVID pandemic, like everyone is so comfortable in connecting via Zoom and online that we really are able to reach the world without having to be there and letting the people who are the experts in in addressing the issues of their communities be the ones to do that firsthand. And of course, using the mechanism of film, a film can travel anywhere it wants in a matter of a few seconds via Google Drive or an email share or something like this. So using this tool for change is really the way that we are really reaching audiences in uh, 178 plus countries all over the world. Oh, that, that's amazing. So share, what are some of the powerful films, most powerful films that you've seen women do? Like, what are the topics? Yes. Yeah, so the thing that's freshest in my mind is that, so we just finished our eighth edition of our Women's Voices Now Film Festival in March. And there I could talk about some of the winning films. So there's so many film festivals out there, right? And women's film festivals in particular becoming more and more popular. So we're really trying to best find the way that we are able to be impactful in that space too. So we've, we've really um, narrowed our process and what our film festival is, which is it's a women's rights documentary film festival. Love primarily that. seeking, thank you, primarily seeking to support emerging women filmmakers from all over the world who are using their skills, craft, talents, resources to tell the stories of women and girls that we wouldn't hear otherwise. And the way we, why we use emerging is because we know that women's lives are not necessarily on a linear trajectory, right? So you might have a vision, a dream to make your film and you don't get around to it till you're 72 years old because you have taken care of everyone else in your life and you couldn't explore your creative passion or filmmaking was not the way that you were going to be able to pay the bills. So really our filmmakers can be as young as 14 years old for our youth film category to 120 if that's when they got around to making their film. So um, some of the most powerful films from this last edition, one that won our best creative documentary is called um, The Perfect Picture by a Lebanese filmmaker. Her name is Hala El-Kush. And this is the first time she has submitted to our film festival. And she did something really brave and really scary, which is that she tried to um, unravel, relive and heal through the trauma of some domestic abuse incidents that took place in her household between her father and her and her mother in the sense that she was sort of a passive uh, bystander, right? And and what I what was so beautiful about this is, as we know, domestic violence is a worldwide mm-hmm, pandemic mm-hmm. throughout time. This is not unique to any anyone's culture, society, et cetera. Um, but she wanted to highlight how in Middle Eastern culture, particularly, it's very difficult to call out that abuse and that violence because of the values of honor, because of the values of, um, of just the father being the head, right? The mother, it's a, it's a very pronounced patriarchal society. Again, patriarchy is a worldwide thing. I'm not yeah. saying it's unique to the Middle East, but it sort of shows up in different ways depending on where you are, who, where you're from and the community that you're living in. So she actually put her, she was in this film and her parents were in this film. And um, it, it was very emotional to watch and it was very powerful. And so, and it was a very low budget film and she won a prize. And it just really shows that a powerful storyteller, no matter what she has or doesn't have, she's going to get her story told. And through the process of making this film, it has actually helped her come closer to her parents and, and get them as far as they can to understanding the trauma that she experienced from the incidents that happened when she was young. And she knows that by making this film and showing it to other other friends and, and, and people in Lebanon and in other audiences around the world, that this is going to help 
give some courage to some other women who need to at least acknowledge what happened. If they can't change the situation, at least acknowledge, yes, you've been wronged. Yes, this was abusive. You are not at fault at this. And, and the healing that can come from that and maybe a second chance at like having a self-actualized life. Mm-hmm. So that, that was a really powerful one for me recently. Yes. And what happens when women make these movies in countries where they really don't have any rights? How, how do their societies and families react to this? So, um, so what I would say at this point, I don't know that there is a country where women don't have any rights. I wouldn't, I don't know if I would go that far. Well, but we you know, limited see, rights. Yes, yeah. very limited. So I would say, you know, I mean, so... Um, so I have a very happened this last week story, um, in Iran. So we have a a filmmaker that we've been working with since I've known her since 2015. Her name is Mina Keshavars and she was arrested in Tehran, uh, with no charge, just her apartment was ransacked. All of her personal belongings were taken. Her work belongings were taken. Her, her roommate, who's another documentarian, Firuza Khosrovani, she was also uh, like basically abducted, right? There's no warrant for the arrest. There was a warrant for a search on the apartment, but that, there's no explanation. They're just scooped up and put into prison somewhere. And she's one um, of your filmmakers. She's and one she of our put on her she, film. Yeah. Yes, she'd uh-huh. actually submitted a film to this festival too, which was incredibly powerful as well about, I mean, that's another story. But so, so when Mina and I started talking back in 2014 or 2015, she said, you know, what's so frustrating is to be a filmmaker in this country is difficult because there's censorship and you have to present the the country in a certain light and and that sort of thing but then as a woman this is not what a woman is supposed to do so finding funding is pretty much impossible and then on so she's had the most of her career has been abroad she's had great success in germany in france she's been part of the tribeca film institute she's won awards at the sheffield documentary festival um the inter independent documentary film association in amsterdam i mean she's like the top she's she's been recognized by the top places in the world mm-hmm. um and, but she can't, you know, and, and, and she's really walked the line. She's always said to me, Heidi, it's so important for me to be able to live and work in Iran as well as be able to be abroad because I have to tell the stories of the women of my country. Right. And she right. does it so beautifully. These are not helpless women, right? They are working under very unfair, complicated circumstances. And yet they, they find their power and they do change society from the inside out. So I think, so a lot of our filmmakers do work under duress, under risk to themselves. They do not necessarily have the financial means to support the work that they are doing. Um, and by hook or by crook, they make it happen. And fortunately, you know, other countries, film programs and institutions do find value in their work and somehow they, they make it through. But, um, it's a very taxing and exhausting life. So it's not glamorous, certainly not like a Hollywood filmmaker glamorous existence at all. These are activist filmmakers that we work with. Mm -hmm. So is she in jail still today? So she's not. So last Thursday, it was May 10th that she was arrested. On Monday, she was released on bail. A bail for a crime that she didn't commit, that she doesn't even know what what? she's being accused of. Yeah, it's all very... Because of the film? No, there's no explanation. There's there's been no no formal charges as of this point, but they have been released on bail. That is what is known, and that's it. So they're very much in limbo. They don't know when, and and they, they weren't able to see their lawyers initially, uh, but they do both have attorneys. I do know that much. And uh, who knows what's going to happen next? They're kind of just waiting mm-hmm. to hear what's going to come next and what kind of trial, probably a sham trial. So they're not free. They're just out on bail. So why do they want to silence her? What is it? What was her movie about? Like, for example, the last one. So the movies that I have seen of hers, which is most of them, because she's she's uh, put her documentaries anyway, she's submitted them to our festivals over the years. I, I 
promise you, she only tells women's stories, right? Women, the first film I ever saw of hers, she found this woman by the name of, I'm going to butcher the pronunciation, Rolia, something like this, from Southern Iran, who, um, for lack of a better description, she was sort of like a, um, she was selling her wares in a, in an abandoned space, right. And sort of created like a woman's marketplace where all these women had like stalls that they would wheel up to this open space and they would sell their wares and try to have a little bit of economic independence. So this woman was sort of the organizer of all these women to bring them there. And, and, and Mina found this woman and this story that there was a developer coming and who was going to make a strip mall. So obviously these women can't afford to pay rent to sell their wares. So that means all of their livelihood was going to be taken away because they, it would be illegal for them to show up with a cart in a strip mall situation. So she wanted to document the struggle of how hard it is for women to become economically independent, how resilient they are, how they come up with solutions, and then how, you know, asking Iranian society really like whose life is worth what here? And, and why would you want to sacrifice the livelihoods of these women who are probably supporting their families? Like, the, you know, who takes care of these women mm -hmm. then and their families? Mm -hmm. What happens next? So she's really, I always say like, she's really showing, I don't know that I'll ever have a chance to visit Iran. And she brings me there and she shows me the beauty of the culture and the people and the complexity and the diversity and the challenges that humanizes them. Right. And mm -hmm. I feel like if anything, the Iranian government should look at someone like Mina and say, she's a huge asset to our country, right? She's an ambassador because she shows that we're real people, that mm -hmm. we are dealing with the challenges and successes and hopes and dreams of all the other people in the world. So I don't know. I don't know what they're trying to do. I don't know God. what the I don't know what the tactic is here. I don't know mm -hmm. what the point is. So you speak to a lot of women from from a lot of countries. What are some of the main topics of concern that you hear from them? Yes. So I mean, it's I would say it's everything, right? So I would say some of our films that we get, and when I'm speaking to filmmakers, it's usually obviously about their films. It, it really ranges from like the personal struggle to, I love the expression to like self-actualize, right? Like mm -hmm. how do you have confidence in your own human dignity, mm -hmm. whether that's in your home, in your family dynamic or in your community or your professional aspirations and what are the obstacles to that? So like any of those sorts of topics, so right to access to education, to economic opportunities, uh, mental health issues to the bigger issues of rights to abortion, rights to in, you know, environmental issues, right? Like when, when water sources are being threatened and women are coming around that, like how are we going to survive if this river is going to be dammed up or the pollution or... So it really runs the gamut of everything that we human beings are worrying about. That mm -hmm. this is, of course, what women are making films about. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. So what is your biggest worry for women today, globally and in the U.S.? I won't say mine because my list is too long. <laughs> yes. So, okay. I, in order to do this work, I feel like I can't have a biggest worry, right? So I'm, I'll answer the question this way. What I see today is tremendous backlash against women stepping into their power. And I think this is a great sign. I think we're getting somewhere. And the, the harder the progress is pushed back against, I think the more ground we're actually gaining. So my biggest worry then would be if anyone is giving up because we can't, this is exactly in the moment when you can't get up. Like when it gets to be the hardest, right? When things are starting to be taken mm -hmm. away, like what's happening in the US with Roe v. Wade, what's happening in Afghanistan. These are the moments where you have to keep showing up because it's, this is work for the long haul, right? You have to be in this for life. This is not a campaign season. This is a lifetime journey of fighting for women's rights. And if I'm, I'm also a, a historian of the Middle East and North Africa. So I like to look at the long arc of history. Mm -hmm. And if you think of where women were, 
um, in in this country in the 1860s versus where they are today, there's tremendous progress having been made. If also if you look at where women were in Iran, in Egypt, in Morocco in the 1800 in the mid 1800s to where they are today, there is a lot of progress that has been made. Mm-hmm. So it's slow in coming, but you know, good things take time. So that's that's my attitude because I don't know how else I could like get up every day and continue to read the emails that I receive and watch the films that I watch. Mm-hmm. It would just it would be too much. Yeah. much. Patriarchy in his death throes, you know? We, I think so. I think so. I mean, yeah. I'm even really concerned about this um, Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. Oh, yeah. Yes. Because they're slamming the woman. I mean, she is a victim of domestic violence. There's no doubt from what he's done. Yes. And yet, I mean, and there was some mutual abuse going on. But I mean, I don't know what's going on with this social media campaign against her now. But that that's terrifying for victims of domestic violence, I think. I agree. I heard a little radio snippet the other night on NPR, I think it was, about uh, TikTok campaign, TikTok memes that are just really working to just completely Nasty. like throw her under the bus. I mean, I don't, I'm not on TikTok, I got to say, and I don't, I'm not going to watch these things, but yeah. I heard that the concern is what is this going to do to other people who are trying to build the courage to speak up against the abuse that they're facing. Yeah. Their, I just read now that Marilyn Manson charged a case against uh, Evan Rachel Wood. Oh, and wow. he is, okay. uh, according to what I read, a serial abuser. So this is a major backlash against me too, I think, what I'm seeing in this country. Yeah, yeah. That, that that sounds about right. Yes, yeah. yes. I also I also get upset when we're spending so much time paying attention to our celebrities' lives. Oh, you know, yes. I'm normal, s- everyday people's lives are very interesting and needing to be addressed as well. So just and like, they need to be addressed more. <laughs> yes, yeah. yes. It's just so strange. And some celebrities really do use their influence for, I think, for, for good. You know, it's always so impressive, like people like Angelina Jolie or Susan Sarandon or Meryl Streep, or there's so many, right, who like step up up for people who don't have voices and platforms like they do but others it's just like you know you have you have you can really like change the world with your uh, with who you are and and just making it not a better place so yeah no i yes. i could not agree with him more there because if i was a celebrity i would spend all my time just figuring out where i want to make change right and, i yes. mean because that unfortunately power comes with eyeballs or yes. an ability to make change yes. Yeah, you know, so it's sad that some celebrities live in bubbles. You know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I yeah, mean, we're in is. LA, so we're yeah, it's, we're, we're really we're, aware we're, of the we're really celebrity dealing. culture. Yes, yeah, yeah, of yeah, course. yeah, yeah. So yes. we're 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 not like the rest of the country, you know, right, or right. the rest of the world. Yeah, right, right. So, how is filmed used as a vehicle for change? So, the beautiful thing about a film is that. You know, when you're sitting in front of a screen watching a theatrical production, for lack of a better word, or a documentary production, there's something about seeing life reflected in front of you, the music, the character development, sort of watching someone that you maybe see a little bit of yourself and sort of the the boundaries between people sort of start to like melt away a little bit. And the way if a good story told really well through visual means is incredible at activating our empathetic response, right? Where we really are able to put ourselves in someone else's shoes and walk around with them. And there's something about seeing 
hearing and seeing that person's experience that is much more effective than I would say reading a book or reading an article, right? Like how much more effective is it to actually meet a person and hear their story and see their emotions and, and their energy, right? And just feel what they've been through. So similar with the film, films show us stories of places we're never going to end up at that maybe we weren't interested in, maybe we didn't know we had anything in common with, and it brings it right literally into our lap practically, right? Mm -hmm. So we use film as a vehicle for change because it has this incredible uh, way of act activating our empathetic response and moving us to hopefully make take an action that can make change. That's that's basically it. So the idea is like you move from empathy to action from watching a powerful film about women's mm -hmm. rights. How long are these films? Are they short? Are they features? We take them all. Oh. <laughs> so in our and so in our our documentary film festival, we have short and features. Uh -huh. uh, and in our film collection, Voices for Change, we accept features and short documentaries, narrative features and shorts, and experimental documentaries. Uh, experimental films, excuse me. So documentaries, not necessarily experimental. Tell us about yeah. the film festival and how do women submit to this? Sure, yeah. So our film festival opens for submissions in August of every year. Mm -hmm. And then we start doing our pre-selection in December and January. February, the films go on to a, a festival jury who are the ones who determine who will win the cash prizes. Each year we award $10,000 in cash prizes. And I have high hopes that we're going to increase that for next year because we see there's a need and also a way for us to do that. And then in March is our big celebration of the films. So if you are a um, film festival ticket holder, for example, then you will be able to watch all of the films that are pre-selected to our festival, be part of the award ceremony, uh, which we have online because our filmmakers are literally from all over the world and we want to bring them into mm -hmm. one space and doing so in a virtual setting is the most affordable and also feasible way. You know, we can get a lot of people in the room, so to speak. Um, and then we also are building out to where the pre-selected filmmakers have a sort of a networking feedback um, session with all of the jury members who are women of great accomplishment, whether it's in academia or filmmaking or activism or a combination of all three. Mm -hmm. And we're also looking for ways to, um, to increase the sort of the interface that our filmmakers can have with sort of movers and shakers in, 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 in the industry, actually. So yesterday, for example, I spoke with some, an agent from a, a talent agency here in Los Angeles to get ideas of who are the people that I need to get into a Zoom room with our filmmakers to give them ideas of how to get somewhere bigger than where they are as a documentary filmmaker. Mm -hmm. So, you know, always looking to expand and grow these things. Women's Voices Now has grown a lot in the past four years, I would say. So we're like on this fast track up and just trying to scale mm -hmm responsibly. So lots of ideas and hoping to implement them. So how do women in, for example, in Lebanon and all these countries, how do they find you? Yes. So they find us on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. Over the years, we've put together a really comprehensive list of other film festivals and women's rights organizations and women in film organizations. And we disseminate the call for submissions through, you know, email that way. Yeah. And I guess it's just, you know, word of uh, online mouth, you know, it's all, yeah. it's all through the internet. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And how many films do, are submitted? So we get a couple hundred every year that are, that are submitted. And then we narrow it down to about like between 30 and 40 that go on to get reviewed by the, by the jury members, then, then get chosen for cash prizes. Mm -hmm. And now yes. hopefully it, it will be live the next one. So that's, that's sort of a, 
it's sort of a quandary for me because we're a small organization and we can't fly in all the winners from, you know, from Iran, Afghanistan, Lebanon, uh, Rwanda, you know, we can't really, we can't really do that. And not sure that that's really like the best use of anyone's time also. Like that's not really the greatest way to make impact necessarily. So if we, if we have an online event or an in-person event, uh, I really have to think long and hard about sort of what's this is an impact organization, right? So like, mm-hmm. what's the call to action from mm-hmm. getting people to come into that space? That's sort of what I have to think about all the time with women's voices now, because I, I don't like the just doing things to do them. It's like, where are we going to go with this? How are we going to, how are we going to make things better by having expended these resources in this event? So with the film festival, I'm just really trying to, again, being in LA, you don't want it to get like swept aside, right? Because there's so many there's things so like many. this. So yeah. how do you kind of stand out amongst all the others? Mm-hmm, that's mm-hmm. sort of the, the present challenge for bringing a live uh, iteration of it. Have you ever done it in other countries or always just here in LA? So you could say, yes, we've, we've had it in other countries. Cause when we did these global tours, it was taking films from the festival to different countries and showing a selection of films. So yes, we have like taken, and that, and that's sort of where the film collection comes in too, right? We can always take the films to other parts mm-hmm. of the world. That's not, there's no mm-hmm. obstacle that to that. It doesn't have to be within the, the context of the film festival itself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What are the biggest injustices against women that one of your films or films have brought up? So um, one that I was only recently made aware of, and this was our grand prize winner in our film festival this year, um, a Spanish filmmaker, uh, two, they're both Spanish, one woman, one man. They went to El Salvador and made a documentary called Indebted to All Women to show the story of 17 women in El Salvador who were imprisoned on accusation of having killed their babies. So abortion until very recently has been completely illegal in El Salvador. And when I say completely legal, meaning a woman who miscarries is accused of having impo- um, imposed an abortion on herself as though she did it. So there are Awful. women, there was one story in this documentary of a woman who fell down stairs and woke up like miscarrying. This, I mean, according to her, right? Like she did not throw herself downstairs to have a baby. She was married. She wasn't trying to get out of having the baby. Another woman went into premature labor in a bathroom and passed out and like basically gave birth to this baby. The baby did not survive because she had no health medical care. She had called an ambulance. No one came. She was home by herself. So it's like, you know, talk about not having a right to choose what happens to your body. Like this is, this, this is the terrifying the worst extent. This is the end, right. Of this mm-hmm. is where this goes when a woman doesn't have a choice. So um, I didn't really know about the, the extreme measures of these laws. So this, this is something that is, and then I don't know, I don't know if you've noticed in the news, like there's been uh, in Argentina, in Chile, I think was it Nicaragua or Bolivia, like there are laws sort of lifting these really stringent abortion rules they are it's, it's mm-hmm. getting more lax actually and coincidentally today the director of indebted to all women wrote to me that two of the 17 just were released that their their cases were overturned that they are not guilty of having killed their unborn babies so i mean that, it's that, uh, pretty that's awful. insane that's yeah. like reading the governor of nebraska coming out saying he wants you to carry uh, your rapist child to term or incest yes. child to term. So if you get raped yes. by your father, what, you're going to carry your father's child to term or you go to right. jail? It's yeah. insane. This is it's in America. Insane. Yeah. 
not surprising to me, unfortunately, but it's, it's really insane. And you know, what's what I've been really getting stuck on too, with all of this news about um, the pending overturn of Roe v. Wade is I, I don't think I would ever feel arrogant enough to believe that I could make the choice for someone else's life, you know, about what they're going to do with their body. And I know that's just like a personal thing. So, but the hypocrisy is why aren't we as concerned about, you know, people dying in war and weapons manufacturing and biological warfare research that's going on and Mm. all the other ways that we invest money in how to kill people efficiently throughout the world, right? So here we are trying to like have a, a dignified way for women to be sovereign over their bodies and to hopefully prevent unwanted pregnancies or all the reasons that women make these decisions, which is always on them, right? It's on them for better, for worse, but we're not questioning all of the money that goes into how to kill people. And that's not sanctified. I don't know. It doesn't make sense. It's just a backlash of a wave of misogyny, wanting to control women once and again, you know? Yes. Yes. But yeah, it's pretty sad that 50 years later, everyone has to be back. I don't know. Did you go to the protest on Saturday? I was, no, yeah. I was not at the protest, yeah. but I, my, one of my coworkers was, and I was following her pictures and reports very closely. Were you there? Yeah, 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 yeah. I was there. I should show you my side. <laughs> no. Yeah. Because I'm like, look, you want to say pro-life? You want to interfere with a woman's body? Okay, we interfere with a man's body. I mean, I'm like, okay, mandatory vasectomies, okay? (laughs) You want to jail a woman? Okay, well, you jail a man for unwanted pregnancy, causing an unwanted pregnancy. I mean, if that's, we want to go crazy, then fine, then let's be equal. I mean, it's insane. Oh, and then I have to share share with you this. Then on the other side of things, it's, whose bodies are able to, are being forced to reproduce? Because also in our film festival, this other film called Belly of the Beast came through, which was incredible, where in California, forced sterilization of women only became illegal in California in the late 1970s. And to this day, in prisons, in women's prisons, women are actually being forcefully sterilized. They go in for, so of course, women of color predominantly, right? They go into prison for whatever crime they did or didn't commit, because we know the system is not uh, working very well. Uh And they go in with cramps or whatever, just issues, reproductive organ issues. And then the doctors have them like open on the table and are like, well, we need to remove your your uterus. So you're going to have a hysterectomy because we found this, that, the other, which is really all a lie. Because when you go to to the medical documents, what they told the patient, the inmate, and what is in the document are two different things. And it's wrapped up with getting payments from insurance. So taxpayers are paying for forced sterilization of women prisoners. And they're not being told that they're never going to be able to have babies again. And they only realize that after the fact. And it's testimony after testimony after testimony of women who are like, I wanted to get out and have a second. Like, oh, I wanted to have terrible. a family. I'm, I'm worthy of love and, and family and a full life. And I didn't even know that that was what was happening to so me. So why aren't they so, doing that to the men? I mean, it's yes. the same way we're funding Viagra, but not birth control pills, right. you know, like the insurance companies. <laughs> right, right. I mean, that, yeah. the, I, that's, um, that sounds like another so some, topic some babies, for a movie. Yes, yeah. some babies are being forced to be born and other babies are being prevented from being born. You know, so it just, it's, it's ugly. It's really ugly and, and clearly about control at the end of the day, about control. Yeah, it's control and it really feels like a wave of hate towards women, like a Me yeah. Too backlash going on. 
Yes, yes. Yeah. I, I, yes, I, I agree with that. I, I also think, you know, this many years after Me Too, there's also a lot of progress. You know, I, I do, again, I do see a lot of progress and a lot of efforts, a lot of resources have been put into investigating accusations of sexual harassment and sexual assault. And there are efforts to make sure that women are getting a better chance at different jobs that they didn't have before. You know, I think people are all at attention, right? Like oh, yeah, people definitely. are more careful. Yeah. There's things like that, which is, that's a good sign. But you're right. There's definitely a backlash. Well, collectively as women, we woke up too. So there's change yes. happening. Now, yes. all you have to do is watch a movie from the 90s and you, you start laughing. Oh, you're cringing, like, what? Right? Yeah. It's all yeah. like sexual harassment in the workplace. And it was just yes. like the norm. So things right. definitely are looking better. So yes. tell us what's up for you and what can our listeners participate in and what sure. is your website? Yeah, so let's start with the easy one. Our website is womensvoicesnow.org. And as I mentioned, we also have a strong presence on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. So we you can follow all the work that we're doing there. As well on our website, you can sign up for our newsletter. There's just a button that says sign up and then you get a newsletter from us every month. What's coming up for us uh, in early July, we begin our fifth edition of our Girls Voices Now program. So this is where we have 14 to 18 year old girls, about 20 of them from underrepresented communities in Los Angeles. And we teach them how to make a short social change documentary so that they are finding their voice and hopefully going out into the world and making change. So at the end of the summer, we will have five youth-made documentaries, which we will premiere in Los Angeles on October 11th, the International Day of the Girl. So for the Los Angeles listeners, they can join us at Mount St. Mary's University in uh, downtown LA. But uh, the great thing about Women's Voices Now is because we have this film collection online that is over 200 films about women's rights issues. You can you can spend time with us every single day choosing a film to watch and sharing it with friends, talking about it with your neighbors or whomever you happen by at the coffee shop um, or hosting a screening of one of these films or many of these films. So, so really how do you host a screening? You. If you want to host a screening of one of your films, how does that work? Yeah, so it's, it's pretty simple. Basically, you um, could fill out a host a screening application on our website. And uh, the reason that you would do that is that then we would give to you the digital film file so you could do a high-resolution screening in a very dignified manner in your, in your community center, at your school, or at your home even with friends. Mm-hmm. Um, and we would be happy also to connect people with the filmmakers if they wanted to pull in the filmmakers for a discussion. So any, anyone can do it. We have the host to screening um, form mainly to give you a little guidance and let you know you're not on your own and you can always contact us for helping with curation or question ideas and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, that's and every single film lives on your website, correct? So correct. I, I can just go on, search the topic or the country or and, and exactly. find any film to watch. Exactly. Yes, exactly. Well, Heidi, thank you so much for the amazing work you do. And thank you for coming on the podcast. We have to uh, do some screening together or something in the future. That would be great, Jill. I really look forward to that. And I'm so, so grateful for the opportunity to reach your listeners and be on the New Feminist Podcast. Thank you so much. If you like this episode, make sure to share it with your friends. For info and links on our guests, go to our website, thenewfeminist.net, and make sure to subscribe. We always love to hear from you. If you have someone you think we should speak to, let us know. And make sure to follow on Instagram at thenewfeministofficial. We'll be back in two weeks with a new podcast. Thank you so much for being here. I'm Jill Sorensen. 
Thanks for listening. Our producers are Sienna Jackson and Jill Sorensen. Our editor is Lucy Baker Swinburne. Original music by Richard Baskin. You can contact us at thenewfeminist.net. Please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and leave us a rating or review. This is your host, Jill Sorensen. You've been listening to The New Feminist. Until our next episode, thank you for listening.